Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. Welcome back to Series 7 of Helpful Social Work. I'm Jerry, And I'm Jo. In this series, we're going back to some of the central elements of social work practice, and we're going to think about how we use our whole self to practice social work. And I must say, I'm, I'm really enjoying doing this series, and I, I hope that people are enjoying listening to it. Each podcast, we're looking at an element of our physical practice, and we're really exploring what goes into that area. And the podcasts are loosely based on our human senses. And so far, we've covered listening and speaking, observation, touch, and taste and smell. Um, I've been quite surprised at how complex each of these areas are and how much is going on in social work practice all the time, um, you know, how how much we're required to manage and do. And, and today we're going to be talking about neurodiversity, um, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation as well. Our last podcast went out in January, and this one's being recorded in December to go out in February. So, um, so it's a new, a new year between. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> Hopefully, so far, guys, 2023 is going well. That's the plan. <laughs> and we've got one more podcast left for this series then, which will be on doing nothing. So listen in March when it comes out to find out more. The other thing that we're still doing, which um, I think is, is really great, is we're still working on having podcasts with guests. In October, um, Mona Lisa Earle talked about what helpful social work means to her. Um, she talked about the potential for social work to change the arc of people's stories. And we recorded a really lovely podcast with uh, Gladys Mantegna-Ju, um in December, and she talked about resonating and sitting with people's worries and that um, real need for relationship. So we've we've had some lovely conversations and, uh, you know, we hope to have more for sure. So this podcast is on di- uh, neurodiversity. And so I'm going to start with some definitions, which I really needed because this is not an area that I know much about at all. Um, so in the Cambridge Dictionary, <clears throat> the Neurodiversity is defined as the idea that people have a range of different types of brain, including those with and without autism, and that that should be regarded as part of normal human life. Um, And so neurodivergent or neurodiverse is about um, related to a type of brain that's often considered as different from what is usual, for example, that of someone who has autism. So this idea of different kinds of brain diversity in how our brains work um, and that that's just normal that's just part of life although it is um we still have this idea of what a normal um brain mm. is and therefore there's kind of this this idea of difference from what's usual um so i had a look at where the term neurodiversity came from um and um i what i read said that it came in 1998 by um social sociologist judy singer um who helped to popularize the concept along with journalist harvey bloom and this idea of the neurodiversity paradigm, um, this idea of difference um, and that being you know, just part of life was taken up first of all by individuals on the autism spectrum um, and then picked up by and applied to other neurodevelopmental conditions and also some mental health conditions. 
so neurodiversity advocates kind of attack this idea, this framing that neurodevelopmental differences are a medical problem that needs to be cured or fixed and promote essentially the social model really about changing the systems around so that there's inclusion, um, so that there's um, different ways of communicating, there's assistive technologies, um, occupational training, independent living support, um, and that it honours the authentic forms of human diversity and self-expression and being rather than trying to make people fit a particular way of thinking or way of behaving. Um, there is discussion about whether the neurodiversity paradigm is um, is kind of too widely encompassing and, and maybe speaks for lots of different kinds of experiences that can be quite different. So for example, someone who has a very severe impairment um, might really experience being disabled um, in a way that um, isn't necessarily captured that experience disability. But um, but there's a there's a sense in that in the, that you can think about neurological difference and also recognise that that's a really broad experience that can include the experience of disability, um, different forms of disability. Um, and also, I was reading that around one in seven of the UK population is neurodivergent. Uh, that's an estimate that the UK government uses. And that would include people with dyslexia or dyspraxia, um, people with attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, autism and Asperger's syndrome, Tourette's syndrome or acquired brain injury. So that's just scratching the surface of kind of where these concepts have come from and and the the real significance of them. You know, we're talking about this this number of people. Um, I mean, it was Joe, it was your idea to, to do mm. a podcast on the topic. So I just wanted to kind of ask you yeah. to say a bit about why why you wanted to bring this onto the series. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. And like you, um, I don't know enough about this. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I love about this podcast, Jerry, is we never let that stop us being curious about different topics um, and exploring them and talking together about them. And, and, and you know, um, I think this is a, a really worthwhile one. You know, for me, I started my career in the 80s in the disability field. Um, and I know that I've reflected on that before in podcasts about how much our understanding about people people who have disabilities has changed over 30 years and how much richer and more nuanced our understanding has become since then. Um, and hopefully, you know, how much more inclusive and multifaceted we are about people who have all sorts of um, challenges in their lives and how they deal with them and how they can deal with them and, and choices they can make. But for me, um, as a social worker, you really lean on your practice wisdom and you build it up over time and you draw on it every time you have an encounter. And, and part of what we need to watch is that we don't let it become outdated and we recognise when we need to make shifts in our experience and to know that what we've learned or experienced is not always fixed. And this has really happened for me with neurodiversity um, because when I worked in the 80s in the field of disabilities, I was working with people for whom autism really was a significant barrier to them being able to interact in any way um, that, that, get, that met their needs or that I guess even met other people's needs if I'm thinking about a parent-child relationship. 
Because um, things were really rigid, weren't they? They Our were really, really were rigid. rigid. And, and, you know, it was kind of like a, 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 people with disabilities were seen as something to fix or to tolerate's not the right word. Put, put things around to manage. To manage is a better word. They were kind of the models, fix or manage. Um, but what there wasn't was a flourishing model at that time, really. Um, and so for me, this idea of neurodiversity re reflects much more on the systems around people and how we maximise them to really fit compatibly with a wide range of people, rather than just seeing the issues as rooted in the individuals alone. Um, and my work as a school counsellor was often with children and young people who were not fitting in. And these young people were made to feel as if they weren't adequate, that they were somehow broken because they didn't fit into the system. And there wasn't a healthy way of talking about how they experienced the world. There wasn't a peer group or any others that they could belong to. They, they didn't have their tribe. They were outside this, the right system. And for me, I think the concept of neurodiversity really challenges that broken model and it allows people to recognise that they do have a tribe and that experiencing the world differently from others doesn't mean that you're broken. You're as full of potential as anyone else. And so... And it enriches the world as well, having and, and it enriches the world, exactly, you know. And so I'm attracted to the concept because of the possibility it offers people to shine and accept themselves as unique and valuable. You know, as a social worker, I'm drawn to ideas and explanations that allow people to thrive in their own right. Own right. Um, and I was listening to an interview on BBC Four with the author of Geek Girl, um, Holly Smale, and she talks about how she was constantly asked whether the main character in her books was autistic. And what she thought was, well, no, Harriet, the main character in the book, she's me. And it took her quite a lot of time to join the dots and go, hang on. Yeah. Harriet is autistic because I'm autistic. I'm neurodiverse, and I've and it really helped her realise her her adolescent struggles as she explored that concept of neurodiversity. Her responses to the world to make a lot more sense, and it was really empowering for her to realise that there were different ways to look at the same thing. So for me, I think that social workers and the people we work with have huge diversity and one of the ways in which we are diverse is that our brains work differently and as social worker we need to be really curious about that yeah and as ever with topics that I um you know I'm, I'm kind of uh new to and having to like learn um I have my go-to places for information I go to the British Journal of Social Work for research um and I was reading an article in there called the helpful brain question mark translations of neuroscience into social work and that's by Margaret Gibson 2020 and the article is primarily around um how the field of neuroscience has influenced social work um and how we we draw on that um that knowledge um, but it has within that some really interesting um theory and ideas and, and discussion around um, how we how we think about brains um, and Margaret Gibson raises some some issues firstly around the idea of a kind of universalized brain um, and and the power issues that come from that um, so when you're considering particular types of brain as other so there's this universalized sort of um, usual brain and then people with living with dementia, for example, people um, who have autism, autistic adults um, would be considered as, as other. Um, 
there's also a real issue around um, the lack of attention on social workers uh, own potential atypicality so um, this this lack of reflection I guess reflexivity about our, the way our own brains work um, it's lots of discussion about analysis and critical reflection and curiosity and so on um, but we don't she raises the question about whether we dig deep enough into how we um, understand things and of course that chimes with social workers who are neurodiverse saying that they they don't feel that they're understood um, so Gibson is highlighting that neurodiverse activists are calling for a kind of different kind of scrutiny um, so targeting this challenging this um, singular notion of the brain and challenging this idea that there are experts who understand how our brains work and really embracing the humanity of um, of difference and diversity and shifting therefore um, this this away from this idea of labeling people um, and being fixed um, to communities asserting their own identities um, being recognized and their agency being respected that's just it's so interesting Jerry that I mean when you do, when you talk about that idea of stepping away from this kind of you know accepted notion of the the right brain really um which is a which, very north european male thing um, yeah you know. and which our whole education system is absolutely pinned on you know that's that's how we test people we get standardized you know we understand you know whether people are above or below and whether they're behaving in the right way all of these things it, it really it narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows out all of the creativity and it's well, not really not very social worky is it <laughs> no it's really not very social worky and and it's kind of um yeah in 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 the disability field it was interesting for me because i kind of um if we think about the social model of disability and um you know that's if we want to look at an explanation of that the baswa charter for social workers and disabled people talk about using the social model helps identify solutions to barriers disabled people experience which i just think is lovely because um first of all it puts the fact that there you know that we need to identify solutions to those barriers rather than fixing the person who's being excluded you know so you're looking around that you're looking around and you really think about encouraging the removal of these barriers within society or reducing their effects rather than trying to fix the individual's impairment or health condition and so when i first started um, working in the disability field uh, social role valorization which was an american model um, developed by Wolf, Wolf, wolfensberger um, really focused on expanding the roles a person with a disability could hold to support them to be more valued in society but interestingly it was still focused on neurotypical value mm. that was really quite important it talked about the fact that you know people have many roles and roles that are associated with wealth competence etc are likely to be more valued than a person with fewer roles that are linked to dependency and poverty so the idea wasn't to challenge the fact the values base of society the idea was to expose people with disabilities to a number of positive roles so that they could fit somehow so they could fit that's exactly right now there was don't get me wrong there were still some really good things about that model under that model we started moving um, people with disabilities out of institutions and into the community so there was that was a good starting point 
in some way, but it was still about how can we get this person to fit into those high-value roles that are dominated by this idea of, of the universal neurotypical brain. Um, and that was kind of the, the the limitation of it. For me, I think the idea of neurodiversity is it's another opportunity to create flexibility in the structures around people and to really push that perceived value base of a human further. So in school, 10 years ago, perhaps even you know, sooner than that, um, autism was really seen as something to solve, fix or get extra support to cope with in a standard school environment. It was treated as a deficit, not a strength. There was never any thought that we could kind of harness somebody's differences to improve society, to improve values, to improve those things. It was just something that needed to be tolerated and managed. Yeah. And I think neurodiversity so, offers much more potential. Uh, Margaret Gibson highlighted in her article about um, under a neurodiversity framework, it's the lived experiences of people that take precedence because they mm. have the situated knowledge and can we can you know, it's that knowledge that's needed to structure practice. Um, and so a neurodiversity informed practitioner would be working to incorporate experiences and perspectives, um, which would include struggle um, and trauma as well as strengths and celebration. Um, so, for example, that would be maybe if you're working with someone to learn about the forms of communication relationships that, that work for that person and support them to find or build communities that um, that work for them and are non-pathologizing, uh, which is you know, what you were talking about, you know, not fitting people um, to the, the services communities that we have, but um, but creating with them um, and building with them the community that works for them. Um, and Basra England have done a capability statement for social work with autistic adults. Um, and some of the big things that come up there around what this looks like in practice are really understanding um, neurodiversity and what's going on for a particular person, uh, which is you know, about where I am, really, um, starting to understand some of that. Uh, developing relationship-based approaches that work um, in a really tailored way, uh, responding to particular sensory and communication needs, and um, and then because you've got this relationship and you've got this um, connection, uh, you're able to then work in partnership and co-produce, um, and you are recognising the person's strengths and handing power to them to to build on those. Yeah, and I, I love that idea actually. I just for me just the thought that a person can be given space and guidance to think about their uniqueness and their value instead of the fact that they don't fit and why don't they fit. It, 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 it's, it's changing, it's flipping the conversation um, so that it's not that the person is wrong, but the environment and the cues and the expectations and the techniques that are surrounding them need to be managed, challenged, fine-tuned, Yeah, There's that quote in the Basel Capability Statement, being an autistic adult is like being a children's shape sorter. You're being forced into holes which you do not fit. Yeah. Exactly. And and for me, I just think that 
you know, um, if we if we think about uh, being a good practitioner, what's what's it like for someone meeting a social worker? I just feel that we really want to learn as much as we can about the concept of neurodiversity and then use it to think about how we can support people to really identify the times and the spaces and the behaviours that help them thrive. Because often people who are neurodiverse are experiencing barriers and obstacles all the time that everyone else sees as acceptable and normal. So the message they're being given is that they must be wrong. So they can't even work out what what the triggers are, what the things are that are difficult and distressing because everybody else copes with them. So why can't they? So that heightened sensory awareness that people might have that can cause discomfort or pain, um, just everybody else manages them. They might not even see it that they have a right not to manage or that that's not what they're managing, if that makes sense. It might not even, you know, they might not be able to sort that out. You know, difference in how they um, process things might mean that an autistic adult has strong revulsion to some stimuli or they need some sensations to fill their sensory needs. Um, and I just feel that if, as social workers, we're really finding places and spaces where people feel at their best and then helping them think about how can they replicate them? How can they replicate the things that help them shine and bring those things into different settings to help them cope with those settings? And then going back, um, so an example for me would be helping a person to think about when they're able to focus their attention most successfully and what it is that's happening around them or happening inside them that enables that them to do that and then find out which one of those things can be used as strategies or supports that can then be taken into the more challenging environments to help them focus and manage their way through. And it feels like the difference between telling someone to go to school and fake it till you make it, just get in there and give it your best shot and, you know, or actually exploring with them what are the preconditions for attending school successfully um, you know, it might be the ability to sit still, to tolerate noise, to manage varied visual and physical stimulation, and what strategies and approaches that they have that will support them to tolerate and succeed in that environment, and how the school is going to work with us to adapt and change the environment to really empower the young person to experience success yeah. and to achieve their goals. And I think that that's just, I mean, I know schools work very hard at the moment, but certainly when I was a school counsellor, a lot of the solution was to create units where people with autism could go and they were othered into those units. Yeah. And there wasn't really a good plan for integrating into the school environment. And yet, of course, for many people who are neurodiverse, some of the experiences that are neurotypical are experiences they want as well. So they don't want to be othered all the time. They want to be able to have access to the richest and widest range of experiences just like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah and it I, has to be really, really tailored, doesn't it? You've reminded me of a conversation I had with a social worker down here in Plymouth who was working with an autistic adult who um, was, I use that term because that's the term that, 
the people who supported Basswood to put the capability statement together mm. preferred. Um, yep. But they, um, this person was telling me, the social worker was telling me that about a case um, situation where she'd worked with someone she felt in, in a really, um, in a really good way. It was part of an appreciative inquiry discussion. And because she had an understanding of autism, she'd really successfully um, redu yeah, we reduced or removed the barriers that that person would have faced in speaking to her as a social worker. So, for example, um, arranging a very precise time to visit and messaging on the way to say, I'm, I'll, I'm 10 minutes away, I'm five minutes away, I'm coming to your door, because that was what the person needed and being there exactly on time and being there for exactly the length of time that um, the person um, had agreed with them and you know it just made me think you know in the conversation we were just having about the kind of barriers that are just built into our and so that, and that's something for us to reflect on isn't it you know when when do people really need us to absolutely manage time very very carefully and very very well and what steps do we take to work successfully with people who need that um, and some of the things for me I think that we we need to be able to do is we just need to be able to really like ask questions like how do you work best in this world what spaces do you feel most yourself in what would need to be different about this place to help you thrive here you know and and really being curious about where people feel the best version of themselves and why and thinking then okay so how could we replicate that into the other places yeah. that you need to voyage and go so that you're experiencing more success um, and so that we're gaining also the benefit of all the brilliant and interesting and challenging things that are going on in your head you know I mean the other thing that I wanted to talk about was about um, the social work neurodivergent community which has a growing voice in the UK um, and is really kind of pushing for for awareness and, and doing some wonderful advocacy work. So, for example, there's now a peer support neurodivergent social workers group in Baswa that was um, set up last year. Um, and I found in Community Care, which is a social work magazine, um, there was a pilot study reported on the experiences of neurodivergent social workers at work. Um, it's quite a small study, so 60 people, um, but more than half of them said that they'd received no specialist workplace support and 14 people, that's about a quarter, said that that was because they were concerned about speaking out and asking for help. Um, and some of the things that were raised in that study were around lack of confidence or anxiety or feeling kind of resigned um, to the way that the work culture was, because that's kind of how it was. Um, and Deb Solomon, who's a, um, the chair of this neurodivergent social workers group in Baswa, said that um, some of the things that are needed are firstly awareness training. Um, around what neurodiversity is, and then a really kind of clear path around how to access support if you're a neurodivergent social worker. And changing some of those processes, like recruitment processes, mm -hmm. or um, you know, the way that our work um, our workspaces are set up um, to be inclusive, and encouraging workers to form peer support groups. And one of the social workers who was talking to the Community Care magazine said, um, also talked about how she engages with the families that she works with um, to kind of help that relationship um, and says that she explains that she has sensory needs 
So for example, mm. if it's too bright in a house that she's going to visit, she might wear sunglasses or if it's too loud, she might ask to go into a quiet room. And what she says is, I just really kind of lay it out from there because if I can't give them my best or if I'm feeling overwhelmed by sensory stimulants, it could transfer onto the way that I work with them. And I find that really admirable, actually, that um, that openness. Um, but again, it makes you think, doesn't it? You know, how do any of us talk to families about the way that we work best as well you know, and have that really open conversation? Yeah. And it takes a lot of courage, actually. Um, and it also but it also offers humanity and vulnerability. And when we're thinking about building relationships, this is a really good way to do it, you know, to actually be able to talk about your own needs in in the interaction as well as their needs um and so for me that's you know there's something there's something quite lovely about that approach of just being able to say oh for me because of this I just need to pop on my sunglasses this is this is the reason why you know they're not coming in like a god are they you know to, to kind of with no with no um with no needs or requirements of their own it's um yeah for me, um, it, it, all this makes me think then about well, how do we support social workers? And I started thinking, well, first of all, if you're if you're a manager or if you're supervising social workers or you know working with your colleagues, you you do really need to be curious about how people achieve their best work for people and with people, and help them think about those strategies to be able to do that within the really pressured context of the workload. You know, um, we need to be able to support them in office spaces and think about providing reasonable spaces for people to work in um, and understanding conflicting needs. Uh, because um, And it always gets me back to I had a, a, a staff member who needed noise when she worked. So she needed just auditory stimulation when she was writing and thinking and in the same very small space, there was someone who needed quiet. And the fights over the radio were quite intense, actually. Um, some people, it might have been absolutely critical to how they functioned, either that quiet or that noise. But I don't know that I ever inquired, I was ever curious enough about it. Does that make sense? That I never, yeah, I never it's seen as a preference rather than a need, and you're not really yes, thank because you, you that's don't ex- inquire enough to know whether yeah, what it is. That's yeah. exactly what I was trying to get to. It was just seen as a preference, and I think that one of the things with neurodiversity is starting to realise that for for some people, the things that we need to understand they are needs. They're not preferences. They can't just keep going with the flow because going with the flow costs them too much of the bandwidth they have and so it means that actually instead of being able to do a really excellent job because when their bandwidth is available their bandwidth is squeezed and squeezed and squeezed so that they always feel as if they're just struggling to keep on top of it but it's got nothing to do with their ability because they have the complete ability to do a really amazing job yeah, it's the barriers again, isn't it? It's the barriers, yeah. And I think that this is so important because we, in lots of ways, we have created quite a rigid, unfriendly world for lots of people, actually. Um, and this is the other thing. You know, society is not an easy place to navigate for many of the people we work with. And having someone who's able to look at things 
very differently and challenge complacency and narrow role values might be the first time that people have felt heard or understood. And so I see a really great strength in ensuring that neurodiverse social workers are not accommodated under occupational health, but are sought after for their perspectives and the challenge they bring to the status quo. Um, because many people do not thrive under this current status quo. So, you know, it might just be time to shake it up a bit.